CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. How did you go from sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, Mayor. Good question. And we're live. (laughs) Oh, my God. Are you okay? (laughs) It's that combination. We, uh, first of all, Girardi, the stinging guitar, Michael Girardi. Wow, wow. The man wants to be a centrist, D. All right? Whatever it takes. And what's wrong with that, right? Right. And <laughs> I want to be a centrist, too. Anyway, and then with. <laughs> oh, God. Good question, Madam Mayor. Good question. The oh enemy is you. you. Oh, my God. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, <laughs> May 11th. It's just moments away. But before we do this, we need to thank our sponsors. Sponsors like SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana. The Chicago Federation of Labor is sponsors, as well as the Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com. For all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what to smoke. They talk about smoking pot in there. Events, so much more. Columns from Ben Jarofsky and Maya Duke Masaba, Chicago Reader. And hey, if you want to become a bin head, chicagoreader.com slash Jarofsky. Head to that site. You have a three tier system. You can either be in the alley, the avenue, or the boulevard. Find out more, chicagoreader.com slash Jarofsky. The Ben Jarofsky show starts now. It is Tuesday, May 11th, and live from my apartment in his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, ProPublica journalist and fellow Chicago political nerd, (laughs) Mick Dumpke. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Ambassador Rom Tuesday. And here's why. Good weekend. You have a good weekend, D? Yeah, I did. It was pretty good. Mellow weekend. Very chill. Very chill. Very chill, yeah. Yeah, you're very I noticed you've been very chill lately. It's all that yoga you've been doing. Yes. Uh, anyway, uh, great weekend for me. My uh, sister-in-law is visiting. I want to give a shout out. What's up, Patty? Uh, turns out she knows more about Gwyneth Paltrow than anyone I've ever met. Uh, just bear with me on this one, D. We got a text the other day. Uh, Frank, want to thank you for sending me a text about Gwyneth Paltrow. Apparently, Gwyneth Paltrow, the actress Gwyneth Paltrow, just in case there's a few out there who <laughs> yeah, don't know who she is. Yeah, the actress Gwyneth Paltrow. Now, don't be confused with uh, the... Stewardess. Woman. Yeah, I don't know. Older woman Gwyneth Paltrow of the 22nd Ward will now weigh in on Mayor Rahm's plan for the Navy Pier flyover. No, 
Gwyneth Paltrow, the actress. I'm not that familiar with her, but uh, Ramana Hussein has talked about her in the show a few times, making fun of her. Gwyneth Paltrow is like this really uh, new agey type with the uh, candle that uh, burns and smells, gives off a smell like a woman's vagina. I didn't know about this until uh, Ramana brought it to my attention. Anyway, so Frank sent me a, a story, and uh, the story had to do with something about Gwyneth Paltrow and not eating bread. I really can't remember the details. Now, the point is, I mentioned this while uh, chatting with my uh, sister-in-law. It turns out she knew so much about Gwyneth Paltrow. So I, I, I took out uh, the Google. I went to the Wikipedia page. I Googled uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, went to her Wikipedia page, D, and I just started randomly quizzing her. And she passed every, like, it was unbelievable. For instance, give it to Dennis. Oh, who is great. Paltrow's first boyfriend? Brad Pitt. Whoa, D, how'd you know that? That's unbelievable. I didn't I, I didn't was know not that. me. I didn't that, was that really her first boyfriend? <laughs> you you just said it, you? That's the yes. Yes, oh. it was her first boyfriend. I did not know that. Setting the bar high. Yeah, and uh so Dennis, who was her second boyfriend? Like Ben Affleck. Whoa, oh. D <laughs> I actually knew that one. Yeah. <laughs> did you really? Yeah. No. <laughs> Anyway, all right. I know the third boyfriend, I think. Uh, well, if you get this one, I'm giving you a steak dinner at Red Lobster. Does Red Lobster even have steak? <laughs> yeah, they got steak. Come on now. Okay. Do a little surf and turf. <laughs> all right, Gil. I'll get you a surf and turf if you can. And don't cheat. I see you looking at that phone. Cheating. Okay? It's not good for you. All right. She broke up with Ben Affleck to date who? I think... I know he's the feller from Coldplay. I don't know his name. Was it Chris Martin or something? Like that? Well, you just. Oh, now I got to bite. I, now I got to feed him. Is that his name for real? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Hot damn. All right. Hold on. Now, if you get this correct, I'll buy you a baked Alaska for dessert. Oh, don't tease me. <laughs> I don't even know what a baked Alaska is. I just know it's a dessert. All right, here you go. You ready? Yes. Gwyneth Paltrow's children with Chris Martin are named what? One of them's named Apple. How the hell did you? How am I the only one? How did you know that? I don't know. Like high school, I think it was. I'm stunned that you knew that. (laughs) When my sister-in-law said one of them's named Apple, I didn't believe her. And I looked it up like, oh, my God, the kid's name is Apple. (laughs) <laughs> and the other one is named pie just kidding all right um what's the other kid's name well i was gonna say pie but uh, <laughs> well, well, if orchard that, orchard orchard <laughs> that's very good no it's peaches pumpkin pie apples peaches pumpkin pie oh boy what a show we got today for you guys no ladies and gentlemen the kid's name is moses all right so anyway, we consumed about uh, 15 minutes of our time discussing that. That was one of the highlights of the weekend. But enough frivolities. All right. Time to get down to business. And I woke up this morning to discover breaking news. Mayor Rahm has been named ambassador to Japan. Repeat. <laughs> Mayor Rahm has been named ambassador to Japan. Well, sort of. 
started. They're kind of leaking it out, the Biden administration. They haven't officially uh, announced that they're going to nominate him for the position because it has to be confirmed by the Senate. So, you know, they haven't officially announced it. But anyway, enough people are whispering about it, apparently sources close to the administration uh, that the news outlets have felt comfortable uh, going public with it. Here's the Tribune's rendition of it, of what went down. I'll now do an analysis of the Tribune's rendition of this breaking story about Ram, Mayor Ram, uh, being named ambassador to Japan. Or being, how do you say it? He hasn't been officially named yet, according to sources. How about that? Quote, the move would give President Biden a deeply experienced government tactician and political veteran in a prominent foreign post. But... The choice is also certain to revive criticism from some in the Democratic Party's progressive wing who've been critical of Emanuel's eight-year tenure as Chicago mayor, end quote. That, my friends, is a classic Chicago Tribune sentence. Michael Gerardi, if you want to know what a centrist is in journalism, that is centrist journalism. Note the praise of Mayor Rahm as a universal stipulation of fact. Quote, deeply experienced government tactician and political veteran. Yes, without doubt, he's all those things. And now note the attempt to distance the criticism of Rahm by relegating it to some in the Democratic progressive wing. You know, as in freaking lefties, the kind of weirdos that listen to the Ben Jarofsky show or work for it. Hey, we love our listeners. <laughs> don't you don't, don't you dare talk about our listeners like that. <laughs> or host it. How about that? That's fine. Weirdos that would host the Ben Jarofsky show. Well, they just got to hate. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, they're kind of like relegating all the things Rom did in his eight years as mayor is just sort of things that only a lefty would criticize as opposed to being like a character flaw uh, who has judgment issues and overriding, overweening, uncontrollable ambition that might undercut his value as a government tactician and political veteran. I'm just saying, okay. (laughs) Like one thing is stipulated as fact. And the other thing is just relegated to the margins. The lefties, the weirdos, the wackos, the marginal marginalized people. who Listen to the Ben Jarofsky show back to the Tribune coverage. Quote, it's unclear when Biden will make the announcement. The White House did not respond to a request for comment. And the quote, that's hilarious. They're so ashamed of Rom. This kind of undercuts Tribune, the whole bit about him being an experienced government tactician and political veteran. I mean, if he was such a great guy, why are they hiding? Well, sounds more like a trial balloon than an announcement. You know what I'm saying? Like, all right, we're going to float this name out there and see if the world crashes. <laughs> you know, let's just see how strong that lefty reaction is. By the way, they call him summon the progressive wing. <laughs> I guess they're still using the word progressive as lefty. Apparently they have not been uh, reading my columns or listening to our show. D we're dissected and pointed out that everybody considers himself a progressive. Even Rom thinks of himself as a progressive in that wonderful snippet that Dennis plays all the time where you have Hillary Clinton being questioned, cross-examined by Lori Lightfoot. 
Everyone in that snippet thinks of themselves as a progressive. Lori Lightfoot thinks of herself as a progressive. And Hillary Clinton thinks of herself as a progressive. Tribune, I'm just giving you a little piece of advice. Not that you would ever take advice from an old lefty in his attic, overlooking a porty potty and the alley. But you might want to... I don't know, redefine what progressive means. Everyone's, I think Joe Biden considers himself a progressive. The only person in the world who wants to be a centrist is Michael Girardi. (laughs) I want to be a Anyway, back to the Tribune. Quote, Emmanuel has received criticism on the left for his handling of the Laquan McDonald fatal police shooting as mayor and criticism from Republicans for Chicago's status as a sanctuary city and its history of struggling to tamp down violent crime. However, he has deep relationships in Washington Congress with an established track record as a top official in two white houses. Once again, the stipulation is fact of all the great things that he is. Plus I'm surprised he didn't put this in there. Plus, he has a reputation for being an outstanding bicyclist who once rode around Lake Michigan. I just biked around Lake Michigan. I think it was 10,000 miles, was it? Nearly 1,000 miles. Oh, 1,000. I got a little excited, Rob. Take a chill pill, And he wore spandex the entire time and did not meet one person in the entire state of Michigan. This is the whole point of the anecdote. Who wanted health care? Not one. No, they just wanted to comment on his spandex. My, you look good in that spandex. Thank you, Chicago, for this humbling victory. (laughs) All I can say, you sure know how to make a guy feel at home. Yeah, Uh, yeah, apparently he feels so at home here. He wants to go to Japan. Can I get out of Chicago? (laughs) The guy lived here for like eight years. Never lived here. And then he went to Washington. Then he said, I want to be mayor because they were kicking him out of the White House and <laughs> the dummies in Chicago. Well, what's a like Rom? I don't know. He's got to be good. Barack Obama made him chief of staff. Heck of a job, Chicago. Heck of a job on that one. Anyway, let's go back to this Tribune sentence. This is a beauty. Michael Girardi, this is for you. This is classic centrist journalism. This is classic political political compartmentalization. All right, so let's break down this sentence. Emmanuel received criticism on the left for his handling of the Quam McDonald fatal police shooting. So they're saying the criticism for for the shooting of Laquan McDonald only comes from the left, which kind of marginalizes it and trivializes it as though it's just some more like cancel culture stuff. Like the woke crowd is just so sensitive. Like God, you know, (laughs) it's like, it's just like completely, it's like marginalizing it. Let's just remind you of specifically what Rahm is criticized for. Not, mm, well, let's hold off. Just criticized for in regards to Laquan McDonald. Laquan McDonald, of course, is a 16-year-old who was gunned down with 16 bullets, 16 times by Jason Van Dyke. Laquan McDonald clearly was having a breakdown of sorts. He was wandering 
around the southwest side of Chicago, had a knife in his hand. Police were following him and they were sort of like cordoning him off. They were like, it seemed like that, that moment they were following like the most logical procedure to avoid like a major confrontation, just sort of directing him away from other people. And up comes Jason Van Dyke, hops out of his car, and within moments came to the conclusion, apparently, that somehow or other Laquan McDonald was a threat. And so 16 bullets shot him 16 times. Maze Jackson, uh, the talk show host, Maze and I don't agree on a lot of things. He's way more conservative than I am, but we do agree that this this was murder. And Maze has this, um, had this moment. He It's in the city so real on his show where he, he did 16 bullets. He fired 16 of them just to give you a sense of the enormity of the shooting that went down there. How does that relate to Rom? Well, they had it all on footage. They had the shooting it was recorded. And the police version, the official version of what went down was that Laquan McDonald was threatening Jason Van Dyke and the footage showed that was not the case. So you would think that an established, experienced government tactician and political veteran who has sort of, what, a wise and reasonable view of the world that would lead to being an able diplomat who could give presidents sage advice on what's the best policy to pursue would say, you know what? It's really incumbent that I correct the public record as to what went down in this incident and make sure that justice is established here and initiate immediately proceedings against Jason Van Dyke for clearly gunning down Laquan McDonald for no reason at all. But no, that's not what Rom did. Rom had the city pay off Laquan McDonald's family to silence them. And then he buried the video. And he did so largely because he thought it would damage his attempts at getting reelected because the shooting occurred on the eve of a mayoral election. That's what he did. So that's the like when they boil it down to people on the left criticize him for his handling of Laquan McDonald fatal police. That's what they're talking about. And, you know, I'll repeat this. He buried evidence of a murder so as to not have to deal with it as an election issue. I would say that more than just a few lefties and weirdos and addicts are concerned about that. We're upset about that. Mayor Lori Lightfoot, who is hardly a lefty, takes pride in being a centrist, even though she calls herself a progressive. Lori Lightfoot used Rom's handling of the Laquan McDonald video as part of the motivation to run against Rom for mayor. She's hardly a lefty. But in the eyes of the mainstream media, concealing evidence of a murder is an issue of importance only to the left. And then there's the last sentence. 
Republicans are upset at him for Chicago's history of struggling to tamp down violent crime. What? So lefties don't care about violent crime? Progressives don't care about violent crime? Violent crime is now only an issue that Republicans are concerned about? Like, what's that sentence all about? I would argue that most lefties, their criticisms of Rom, and I say this as a lefty who's been very critical of Rom, has to do with those first four years of his administration, as much of his, his, his handling of Laquan McDonald, because one's connected to the other. And when he was in full power and pretty much free to do anything he wanted because the citizens of Chicago decided it would be a great idea to elect him as their mayor, Rom closed mental health clinics, Rom closed public schools, Rom diverted money from poor neighbors neighborhoods to gentrifying ones. In short, Rom pretty much made it clear that he wasn't concerned with dealing with the causes of violent crime, that he just wanted to turn Chicago into what? A beautiful, gentrified version of Wicker Park. And so it was like lefties who were saying, you know, if you don't invest in mental health, if you cut close mental health clinics and high crime neighborhoods, you're going to create the conditions for more crime. So you could argue that lefties care about this issue as well. No, apparently it's only an issue that Republicans care about. We are living such a weird country, ladies and gentlemen. When this compartmentalization is viewed as normal. Lefties are only worried about when a cop shoots a black man. Conservatives worry about crime. Weird stuff. Anyway, what's my position on Rom as ambassador? Yeah. Good, good question, Dennis. Good question. I don't know. Rom's got a lot of ambition. Rom is reinventing himself right now. He basically got out of Chicago when the getting was good. And he left Lori Lightfoot with all the problems he either created, bedded, or ignored. And so now he wants to further, what, polish off his image by becoming an ambassador, I guess being a pundit on the George Stephanopoulos show doesn't do enough. Well, I, for one, look forward to the confirmation hearings, perhaps under questioning from senators, probably have to rely on the Republicans I don't know if my Democrats will be up for this. They'll get pressure. They'll get pressure from Biden. Don't ask them hard questions. This will be interesting. This will really be a test of the Democratic independence to Biden. <laughs> you know, usually when you have a, uh, a controversial appointee, uh, the party in the White House gets its senators to ask the softball questions. So this will be really interesting. Like if the Republicans who are supposedly don't care about Laquan McDonald shooting, but care tremendously about crime, will be asking him hard questions about Laquan McDonald. Will Biden have the Dick Durbin's of the Senate? 
and the Tammy Duckworths of the Senate saying, uh, Mayor Rahm, about that bike ride in Michigan. Nearly a thousand miles. Let's, I think for once we should clarify that, D. Once he's under oath at that Senate confirmation hearing, they should ask him point blank. Was it a thousand miles? Were you wearing spandex? We have here, we have here an affidavit from a farmer in Michigan who told you he was concerned about health care. <laughs> anyway, maybe this will be what it takes to finally learn the truth about what Rom knew and when he knew it in regards to the shooting of Laquan McDonald. We got a great show today, everybody. Yes, yes, it's true. As Dennis said, Mick Dumkey, who's pro- probably as big a geek and nerd when it comes to Chicago politics as I am, uh, will be with us. And it's just by chance. I reached out to Mick last week to talk to him about uh, Rick Munoz and Patrick Daly-Thompson and corruption in Chicago. He couldn't do it the show. So we said, that day. So let's do it next Tuesday. And then lo and behold, we wake up and Rahm Emanuel, Mick and I had spent a lot of time together writing stories about Rahm Emanuel, uh, is in the news. So it's absolutely appropriate. So the legendary Mick Dumkey will be joining us really soon. We're going to take a break. Dennis will do that really super cool. Reach out to Mick Dumkey that he does. I've done it like twice. I'm kind of worried here. Uh, maybe send him a text while we take a break. Yeah. You know, <laughs> one thing we've learned about uh, reaching out to guests, they don't look at their emails. They only look at their texts. <laughs> nobody, nobody looks at emails, ladies and gentlemen. Not even Gwyneth Paltrow, Chris Martin, Apple Martin, or Moses Martin. <laughs> they don't look at their emails either. Anyway, we'll reach out to Mick. We'll be right back with the great, the legendary Mick Dumkey. Stick around, everybody. And now the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, T-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Thank you, Chicago, for this humbling victory. All I can say, you sure know how to make a guy feel at home. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky show live from his attic. It's uh, make fun of old baby boomers day in the Ben Jarofsky show. As somehow or other, I turned off my camera <laughs> and Mick Dunkey and Dennis were just having a great time. <laughs> yeah, I was Folks, happy, I get this. happy to call into the uh, Technology 101 show. With that. <laughs> good Lord. Always a good time. <laughs> Mick Dumkey, who is positively Mark Zuckerberg when compared to me when it comes to technology. Oh, my God, that was pretty funny. Anyway, folks, if you could have seen me struggling, panic in a panic mode, typical baby boomer thing. Oh, my God, if I push the wrong button, everything will crash. (laughs) Mick Dumkey, welcome to the show, young man. 
Thank you. Young by comparison with some, uh, <laughs> old by comparison with others, and we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, as I said in the intro, the timing was perfect. We did not plan this. It was a week ago that I reached out to Mick. It just seems so appropriate. Uh, Patrick Daly Thompson, the alderman of the 11th Ward, uh, was indicted on the same day that Alderman Rick Munoz, our former Alderman Rick Munoz of the 22nd Ward, were indicted. I'm like, Mick, you got to come on. We have to talk about political corruption in Chicago. And he goes, I can't do it that day. Let's do it this day. We book this day. We wake up. And what do I discover? Uh, my favorite mayor, Rahm Emanuel, uh, has apparently been named uh, ambassador or will be uh, nominated to be ambassador to Japan. So I'm going to put corruption in Chicago and a, a discussion about Patrick Daly Thompson and uh, my old friend, Rick Munoz on the back burner. We'll get to it, uh, Mick Dumkey, uh, but we have to discuss Rom uh, being uh, nominated as ambassador to Japan or apparently nominated. Hasn't been officially announced by Biden. I guess Part of me thinks it's almost like a trial balloon. Like they're still afraid to go uh, full, full out with this. Mick, what's your thoughts about it? Well, I don't know how they work about um, diplomatic posts and leaking it, trying out. I mean, surely they know how people feel about Rahm Emanuel at this point in time. Um, I mean, it's not like this is some newbie to the political scene and his name has been floated about for some other posts. I mean, at one point in time, there were uh, either rumors or trial balloons or something about him potentially being a cabinet secretary, right? Secretary of transportation, I believe was the one he was linked to. And so uh, then at this point in time, if Biden and his people don't know how their base, as well as the general public um, feel about, the former mayor of Chicago, Rahm Emanuel, then uh, they are really, <laughs> they're not following the same Twitter feeds that I am. I'll tell you that. Uh, Cause uh, uh, I and others have been talking about this already today. And we were talking about the last time Rahm's name popped up and uh, there are pretty strong feelings about it. Let's uh, let's let's, that's an understatement, right? Well, let's get into uh, a little bit, Nick, and I'm going to um, do my best to be the inquiring journalist here, as opposed to being <laughs> opining columnist. Uh, and um, so what are the conflicting, in your opinion, uh, aspects of Rahm's experience, his temperament, uh, his background, and um, his reputation that so many people find uh, enraging? Well, the obvious joke and a comment, it's not even a joke, about um, Rom being named to any post requiring diplomacy is the story about his negotiations with uh, the late uh, Chicago Teachers Union president, Karen Lewis, uh, in which Rom, uh, as I like to say, clearly stated his negotiating position by saying, F you, Lewis. And um, of course, uh, one of my friends uh, tweeted back to me today um, about Ram being sent to Japan specifically. Well, the guy does know raw fish. Uh, so, you know, of course, the story about Ram sending a, a fish to uh, someone at one point in time is some sort of joke slash intimidation tactic. There's just so many 
so many stories about Rom's temperament, um, most of them not particularly favorable about him being even keeled or someone who is, is known for uh, bringing sensitive negotiating skills to the table. Um, so I think that is both an ongoing sorts of humor, Ben, and I also think it's a real, like, are you kidding me kind of moment for people who have watched Rom up close for a long time. Um, if we're going to uh, be fair to Rom, um, he is a, and there's so many more things we can talk about Rom's record, of course. I'm just talking about simply his, what people perceive as his temperament as a potential diplomat, like, uh, you know, being the uh, United States top diplomat in Japan. Um, but I think the other side of it is if you're a uh, advocate for Rom is that um, probably most importantly in this instance, you owe him something because he's been around for a long time. He has, I think, served as an unofficial advisor to Joe Biden. And a lot of, let's face it, a lot of these diplomatic posts are doled out to pay people back for political favors. Um, and I'm not saying that the, that the Japan job is an insignificant one by any means. It's a very important ally of ours. But I think there's uh, a lot of times people get these posts because of, there's a perception that um, you'd have to screw up pretty badly to really ruin things in this job. And so it's kind of a, uh, something you give that's a nice uh, feather in somebody's cap, you know, someone you want to reward. And then other people would say, of course, that Rob's been around politics and government for a long time and he's not a newbie and he'll behave himself when he has to. Um, I'm sure people would, would make that argument as well. But the two sides of it I see primarily, Ben, just to sum, sum up is, you know, negotiating diplomatic skills, what skills on one side and the other, um, uh, well, we got to give him something cause we owe him something. Yeah. By the way, just, I have to say this, uh, you, uh, alluding to his, uh, his showdown with, uh, the, Great Karen Lewis. Uh, before he got to that point, they had the dinner. This, this Karen, I w- one more reason to wish Karen Lewis were alive because her rendition is far better than mine. But she met with Rom. She's told this story many times, not just to me, Mick. And, and she told it. Storyteller. She was an incredible, yeah. hilarious storyteller. She told it at the hideout. Uh, with you and me, right? Uh, she told it Chicago Magazine, but yeah, she was a great, very good um, uh, a mimic as well. So she talks about how when he was mayor elect Rom, they went out to break bread <laughs> with the lead, the the leader of the one of the largest, if not the largest union. In her city, don't let's forget he's a Democrat who's supposed to be more or less sympathetic to unions, and he told her like, "And no, this is what's going to happen. He go, I'm going to lay off teachers, cut their salary, dole out more charter schools, and you're going to take those commies in your union and get them to like it." And meanwhile, here's a, here have a have a a, a roll with your dinner. So yes, diplomacy is not one of his. Uh, that was the opening, and then it, it, it uh, devolved into uh, F.U. Lewis. Mick, my question for you is this: Put yourself into Rom's brain for a moment, and go ahead, go ahead. And so I understand why he would want to be transportation secretary. I mean, obviously, it's with the infrastructure program that uh, Joe Biden is proposing. You're talking about doling out 
billions of dollars, which are, can translate into thousands and thousands of jobs. I could see why uh, somebody as ambitious and power hungry as Ram would want that. Ambassador to Japan. Why would Ram, uh, in your humble opinion, make want to be ambassador to Japan? Well, my first thought is that he just wants some sort of position, some sort of post. He wants to stay relevant. We don't know what Ram is up to next, but the one thing we do know is he's up to something. He's got plans. This is not a guy who sits around idly um, seeing what's going to happen. He is uh, usually very aggressively pursuing one sort of uh, plan or another. And so my sense is that what do you do after um, your two terms of mayor of Chicago? Well, he took a bike ride around Lake Michigan, I think. Good for him. Um, <laughs> actually sounds kind of cool, Ben. You and I should do that at some point. In time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, you know, what, what's next? He's got, uh, he's a talking head on television. I think for a while he was, contributing uh, quote-unquote think pieces to uh, uh, where was that was that the New Republic or where was it that he was uh, a copy I think it was, the, was it Atlantic the Atlantic sorry yeah. sorry mm-hmm. New Republic didn't mean to insult you it was the Atlantic and he was named like a assistant editor a contributing editor and I haven't seen those for a while so he may have gotten I don't recall maybe one of your listeners can correct us but he may have gotten sent packing from that job. But the point is, Ram always finds ways to try to stay in the news somehow. He wants to be involved. He wants to be engaged with people. Um, either he really loves public service or he's just, you know, addicted to politics and the, and the spotlight and probably um, some of all of the above. So I think that aside from whatever interest he has in spending some time in Japan, which sounds pretty cool, uh, I assume that he wants to stay in the mix. What do you yeah. take? Well, um, my sense is uh, two things. One, you know, Rom has always uh, in between his stints in quote unquote public service. I always put that in quotes in regards to Rom because the service is generally uh, in Rom, <laughs> not public in Rom service. <laughs> so, I always put in quotes, his stints in public service as a public servant. Um, He's gone uh, and been an investor, a money man and a middleman. So, I mean, he's going to make a lot of contacts. That business Rolodex of his will get even fatter. Uh, He'll make even more money when he's done as ambassador to Japan, because I'm sure he'll have contacts in the Japanese business world and if he could figure out his way to get to China, that's where he would love to get to China. They're not, they're keeping him far away from China. Um, but I also feel as though, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. We could do a whole um, a show on this. The history of Rahm Emanuel's uh, time as mayor of Chicago has not been written yet, as far as I know. Uh, and Rom seems to be writing uh, his own versions of it uh, as he goes, uh, completely rewriting it from my perspective, what went down. And um, I think that this is part of his attempt to sort of change the public image of Rom. Uh, and before you came on, I was talking at length about uh, Lilaqua McDonald. 
mishandling of the Kwame McDonald uh, shooting, burying the video and I'll just remind everybody uh, that it was the only reason we know about the video or to see, uh, to know what went down in that video is because a Cook County judge ruled against Rom in a lawsuit that's near and dear to Mick's heart because he's a big freedom of information geek uh, in a lawsuit that f- was, was attempting to force Rom to do what he was resisting and what he had been resisting, which is to turn over the evidence. So Mick, there's a lot of things uh, to be critical about Rahm Emanuel about uh, regarding how he handled the city. Uh, but there's this fundamental issue of bear, burying evidence, concealing evidence uh, that I don't think he has figured out a way to spin his way out of that. You get what I'm saying? I mean, he could spin his way out of the Chicago teacher strike, uh, his his relationships with Karen Lewis, particularly now that she's not around to correct his versions of them. But I don't know. Laquan McDonald and handling Laquan McDonald video is a very difficult matter for even the maestro of spin to spin his way out. So I think it's part my, you asked me, I think it's about changing the public's um, attitude toward how he behaved as mayor. And in particular, in, in that matter, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's uh, certainly part of it. Um, uh, he he wants to keep going and have a different narrative associated with uh, his name and his, uh, you know, time in, in public life um, than just the Laquan McDonald uh, incident and the aftermath. And, um, you know, we still have a, cons- we have a, the police department's under consent decree that stems from the aftermath of Laquan McDonald. So many things that we're continuing to wrestle with, um, you know, were at least accelerated by the Laquan McDonald case. I don't, I don't want to say they started with it at all because these are things, a lot of them that have been going on for decades, but you're right, Ben, that um, things really came to a climax with uh, the shooting and then the struggle to get information about it, uh, which didn't end, by the way, with the release of the video. I mean, uh, while I was not involved in, in that fight, I mean, just I was at the Sun-Times and the Watchdog team. For the next two years, we wrote so many things about the police department trying to get records released to um, find out information about basic things like where are officers deployed, you know, what kind of, where do experienced officers go versus rookie officers? Um, you know, uh, how soon should uh, video of police shootings be released? We're still wrestling with this stuff up to yeah. the current moment. You know, just the last few weeks, um, all the anger uh, and frustration about the release of the videos with the Adam uh, Toledo uh, shooting and, um, is it Anthony, the Alvarez, uh, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so you're right. I think that, um, and when I was saying Ron wants to be in the mix, I think that's part of it. And and you're really articulating an important part from Ron's point of view is that he wants to be known for something else besides all this stuff that we're talking about. One thing, uh, that struck me, Mick, uh, I'm sort of been thinking, comparing, Democratic attitudes toward Rom uh, with Republicans uh, attitude toward Trump. Follow me in this one. Um, it seems as though uh, a good chunk of the Democratic Party 
has just utter disdain for Rahm and doesn't want anything to do with him. Uh, whereas Donald Trump, <laughs> it's baffling, uh, remains like a, a political god to the overwhelming majority of Republican voters. I think it's like in some polls as high as 90% and others, it's, it falls to eight falls to 80%. Mike. Uh, and as a result, he's now he's controlling the Republican party. Uh, we see it happening with the attempt, which will probably go down tomorrow uh, to didn't take uh, Liz Cheney, remove Liz Cheney as a leadership position uh, in Congress. And um, so I'm just wondering how much can like the Joe Biden people, the handlers before, when we go before uh, the Senate with Rahm's name, how effective can they be at sort of doing to Rahm what Republicans have done to Trump and to turn completely rewrite his history in such a way uh, as to make it palpable uh, to Democratic voters. Forget Republicans, just Democratic voters. Well, I don't know that it's a fair analogy, really. I mean, and I'm not saying fair to the individuals, although that may be true, too. I just I don't think anyone's in the same realm as Trump. I mean, Trump has a following that's cult like. Um, Rom doesn't have that kind of position within the Democratic Party, so it's a different problem that Biden has, or a different issue Biden has, uh, you know, to try to sell Rom to people in the party, you know, on, on the left of the, especially in the left wing of the party, or others who don't like Rom within Democratic circles, because despite the controversies attached to Rom's name. Uh, Rahm was around in Washington before he was mayor, obviously. And so there are a lot of people who, uh, whether this is mythology um, that is made in part by Rahm himself or others, um, or whether it's there's some truth to it, a lot of people look up to Rahm. They see him as an architect of the Democratic takeover of Congress um, in what was that, 2000, and you remember this, Ben, wasn't it? Uh, Six. Six, right. And so... Um, there's a lot of people who uh, look up to Rom um, as, uh, you know, whatever his failings may have been on a local level with leading the city as mayor, people look up to him as a strategist of a certain kind. They, they see him as uh, the kind of tough Democrat that's needed to win elections, you know, like him or love him. Um, a lot of people believe that he is an election winner. And so um, Trump is a whole different thing. I mean, Trump, you know, allowed himself to, uh, some people literally believe this, give the impression that he descended from the clouds <laughs> to seize the Republican nomination yeah. and, uh, you know, save the party and save the country with it. And there are obviously, as we see now, there are people who are never going to be dissuaded from that, no matter what happened on Trump's watch. And the kind of lies he's told, the uh, ca capital insurrection that he encouraged, and so on. Um, Rom's just not in the same realm. Um, I understand you're not talking about them being exactly comparable in terms of their behavior, or party position. You're just talking about like this, this, the politics of trying to get people on board with it. But I, 
I, it's hard for me to think in that way because Rom just isn't in the same space as Trump, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, he certainly never yeah, achieved. One uh, other thing I will say about Rom and Trump is that um, before he left office, let's not forget this. Rom had a brief golden period before he left office that was aided by Trump. Trump got elected and certainly not everybody, but a lot of people were like, well, Rahm isn't Trump. I mean, next to Trump, yeah, we got pretty right. good with Rahm as our mayor. And in Rahm, to his credit, also, um, I think he appeared to sand a few of his rough edges and he appeared to sort of, you know, he got smart and at least through appearance, he appeared to move a little bit to the left his last couple of years. You and I have talked about this. There was the first term Rahm and the second term Rahm, especially, you know, those last couple of years whether he knew he wasn't going to run again or not, um, you know, he got kind of comfortable being this counterpoint to the national Republicans, you know, from his purchase mayor of Chicago. And as many provinces as he had internally in Chicago, you know, I think he, he really enjoyed that. And um, that he, he kind of went out riding a little mini wave yeah. in that way. A very mini wave uh, and uh, more like a ripple. Uh, <laughs> or a riptide. People, people here know that it was a ripple, but I don't know that everyone around the country knows that. Yeah. So fair enough. Know. And and one point uh, that I discussed before you came on the show is a Tribune uh, in its article about Rom's uh, getting uh, this apparent be apparently being uh, nominated uh, noted that Republicans uh, would be critical of him for his status. Uh, as mayor of a sanctuary city. And that gets to the point you were making uh, that he's, he is a shrewd guy and he saw, which he saw an opportunity in Donald Trump. You're absolutely correct uh, to sort of repair his view, how he's seen um, by people in the democratic party. And it may have worked with centrists. I'll be curious, make before we leave this topic and go to the next one, I'll be curious to see how, for instance, um, a Durbin or a Duckworth will handle this because, you know, clearly a good chunk of the Democratic base uh, in Chicago just reviles Rahm Emanuel. And uh, those are key voters. On the other hand, uh, party leaders admire him, as you pointed out, and Democratic donors admire him, as you pointed out. And the president himself clearly uh, wants to remain in good standing with Rahm. Uh, and so it, it may turn into a, like a partisan thing. Like we need the 50 votes. So Joe Biden doesn't look bad. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I'm just curious how to, uh, about, uh, Durbin and Duckworth handle your thoughts. I, I think there's very little political cost for Durbin and Duckworth to support Rahm Emanuel as, uh, you know, ambassador to Japan. I just don't think, um, there are some people who are, probably quite a few people who would be outraged, who are going to be outraged by this move, but I don't think enough to uh, seriously damage two sitting U.S. senators who've had little trouble getting reelected. I just don't think that's a real big problem for them politically. It definitely won't be a problem in a, in a, uh, uh, in, in a showdown with a Republican for Tammy Duckworth when she runs for re-election. All right, let's let's put uh, Rom behind us for a while. Someday we may... Uh, I know it's hard to do, but... It's hard to do, yeah. Uh, we'll take a deeper dive on his administration. Um, 
I mentioned uh, already Liz Cheney. Got to get your thoughts on this. Mick and I did a whole show dedicated to Republicans. And it's uh, really one. Uh, really proud of that show. I urge everybody. It's Mick Dumkey on Republicans if you want to find it uh, in our um, archives. It was several months ago. Uh, and Mick grew up in Michigan. He was surrounded by Republicans. These were a different kind of Republican, a different breed of Republican. Uh, and now, as we see, I already alluded to it, Liz Cheney. Uh, is um, about to um, uh, have her leadership position uh, taken away from her because she's been too critical of Donald Trump. Mick, your thoughts about this Liz Cheney, Donald Trump showdown? Well, I'm not sure I have any thoughts that are um, that different from what so many other people have been saying. I'm just watching in amazement and horror as, uh, again, congressional Democrats appear to be rallying around the cult of Trump. Um, Republicans. And, and willing to ditch someone who has uh, deeply conservative credentials in the Republican Party in Liz Cheney. And, of course, you know, it's, it's only Trump and this breed of Republicans who could make so many Democrats suddenly have warm thoughts about anyone named Cheney, right? I mean, um, this is a guy who was seen as the Darth Vader of the Bush years um, not so long ago, uh, Dick Cheney, Liz's father, the former vice president. And so um, I'm just watching in amazement, Ben. I mean, you know, it's... Uh, and, and, you know, we'll say this, I mean, credit to credit to Liz Cheney for doing what she should have done. I mean, that's a weird thing to say, like praising someone for doing what they should do and to stand up in the fit, you know, after all the, the election lies and the Capitol insurrection and to stand up and say that Trump and others need to be held accountable for it and that the party needs to go into a new direction. That's a really low bar, but she did it. And um, kudos to her. And I don't say that as someone who uh, loves her politics generally, uh, but she did it. And to see that she's now paying a price for that meeting, that very low bar is really incredible. And I just think a lot of people feel that way. They're just watching this like, you know, we haven't bottomed out yet. Yeah, I um I'm very uh, uncomfortable praising uh, any Cheney. Uh, I'm with you on that one, on that point. And um, Maureen Dowd wrote a column in the New York Times the other day. I don't know if you saw it, which really resonated with me. Maureen Dowd was very critical. She's a New York Times columnist. She was very critical of uh, W's administration for the two wars uh, that he launched. And Dick Cheney was an architect of each of those wars, the one in Afghanistan, and then, of course, the invasion of Iraq. Uh, and uh, it's, I don't know, the, the final history, the draft has not been written, but it sure looks like uh, Cheney was the major proponent in pushing W uh, to that invasion. I don't know how much pushing it required, but he he was definitely uh, a powerful force behind the scenes, uh, letting W. George Bush be the front man. And Maureen Dow goes through Mick and just really lays out, bringing back. You talk about going back, you know, like I do with Rom. Like, let's not forget he did this. Let's not forget he did that, you know? And she did it. Uh, and you can't. And I struggle with this because, Mick, this is where I'm leading with this. Uh, 
there becomes a, there comes a moment where like we start normalizing what people have done that is so egregious. And that I think that it, that sends a bad message, if you will. So I, this is part I struggle with. So in other words, like normalizing what the Cheneys of the world did in, uh, in those to ignite, ignite those wars under false premises. So many, so much destruction has happened. You could argue that Donald Trump is president in part because of those wars. So to praise a Cheney and just looking the other way at what they did, you know, I know it was her father, but it's still, she was very supportive of the father and she's still supportive of that wing of the party. And Trump scores points by calling her a warmonger. So I feel really reluctant to do that. On the other hand, if you don't take the stand that Liz Cheney is taking now, you're normalizing Trump, you know? And I'm like, oh my God, what's worse? Normalizing Cheney, making him, you know what I'm saying? Make re- dusting off his image. We were just talking about doing that with Rom or uh, normalizing Trump. I'm struggling with this, Mick. Yeah, I, it is a struggle, but I think, you know, the issue of, of our time uh, right now is truth, the truth, sticking up for the truth itself and taking a stand against the consequences of um, falsehood and white supremacy that led to the Capitol insurrection and demanding justice and accountability in the aftermath of the Capitol insurrection and demanding an end, fighting for an end to the assault on truth itself. We can't even debate um, the justice of those wars or the aftermath of those wars if there's, there's no standard of truth. I mean, so to me, it's not to pardon every other sin that's been committed by the Cheneys or any other Republican or any other Democrat when I say at this moment in time, the least you can do is the right thing. And that's to stand up for the truth and to stand up against the lies and the cult of Trump, which are incredibly dangerous, not just for the Republican party, but for the whole country as we've seen. So it's not a great contradiction, contradiction in my mind, actually. It's, uh, uh, you know, politics, um, there's very little purity. There's very little, very few people um, you universally can cheer for at every minute. Um, and as a reporter, you're always preparing yourself for someone to, um, who appears to be sort of the, the bad guy or bad girl in the story to suddenly um, the script to, to veer, the plot to change very quickly. And that's kind of what we've got right now. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, let's come back to Illinois and Chicago for a moment. And I'm going to share with you, as you know, uh, uh, Mick's uh, wife comes on the show. Uh, well, now it's every other week. Ramon Hussein, the great uh, columnist editor, uh, the Chicago Sun-Times and a dear friend of the show. Uh, and she is withering in her criticism and making fun of me and you, Mick. Uh <laughs> Speaking of old historical, she, she gives me so much grief on this, like all the sleaze bags that we've had on stage at the hideout. Oh, uh, so I have yeah. to get your response. Come on, to this. These guys are your friends. Every time there's an alderman indicted, how come these guys are your friends? <laughs> they're not my friends. Come on, just because I used to talk to so, them before they 
got indicted doesn't mean they were my friends. So we, that led to the great trivia uh, question of last week. Uh, how many guests of Ben and Mick at the hideouts are now uh, under indictment? <laughs> and the answer, I think, is three. Mick, I hope I haven't forgotten anybody, but I believe it's three. Correct. Am I right about that? There's three that are uh, currently under indictment or am I forgetting anybody? I'm only thinking of two. Um, no, you're right. Three. There are three. I, that's, I can only think of three as well. So that would be, <laughs> I'm wondering uh, which one listening with bated breath out there. That would be Danny Solis. Yes. Uh, Ricardo Munoz and uh, Proco Joe Moreno. Right. I'm wondering which one eluded your memory. Uh, you were th- you've thought of two. Or- well, I didn't think about Joe Moreno because he is a different set of legal troubles. The uh, first two are tied up with alleged corruption schemes um, investigated at the federal level. They're uh, yeah. under federal indictment where Joe Moreno is under, um, has been under a bunch of legal trouble in uh, state court. So yes, that's just really my brain thinks. Um, and, and, you know, not necessarily, you could argue that it's political corruption of a different sort, but it uh, appears to be a lot of behavioral problems from Joe Moreno, um, personal problems that have, you know, seeped into the, the criminal court system here. Um, yeah. Whereas uh, Danny Solis and Rick Munoz are both accused essentially of, uh, various kinds of financial corruption related to their political offices. Yes. Uh, by the way, a, a second trivia question, it's just occurred to me related to our tenure uh, at the hideout uh, with first Tuesdays, Proco uh, Joe Moreno's defense attorney was a guest at our show for 10 trivia points. Who is that guest from the past? Make that Howard Brookins. Yes, very good. <laughs> Howard Brookins, the alderman of the Twenty First Ward. Howard Brookins Jr. also a uh, still working as a defense attorney. Yeah, um, stepping up for his former colleague Joe Moreno. Yeah. yeah. When I saw that, I, I had mixed feelings. On one hand, I'm like, "Come on, Howard, you don't need to do this." On the other hand, well, first of all, everybody is entitled to a defense, obviously. But in a weird way, and this is, I think, uh, Romano would be, make fun of me. I kind of like bought into this notion that, you know, like there's a personal a loyalty that transcends like unseemly optics. You follow me? And so Brookins was showing s- some personal loyalty that was admirable. Am I being too fair to him, Mick? I don't know if you're being too fair. I just don't know. I mean, I, that may be, but I, I hope that it's a professional relationship. I mean, you know, you, your defense attorney, um, I think needs to be your defense attorney, not necessarily your friend or someone who's trying to defend the reputation of the city council as a whole. Um, but I, I don't, I don't really don't know anything about their relationship. I guess I was, uh, moderately surprised to see that uh, when I read that, that um, Howard was representing Joe um, just because I knew that 
I knew that Howard still practiced law, but I didn't know that he was still actively doing defense cases like that. Um, and I think there's an actually, an actually an argument that uh, some have made I, that he shouldn't be doing it, that there's potentially a, some kind of conflict of interest on some level. Um, because though I just got done saying that I believe most of the trouble that Joe's in um, has to do with quote unquote personal behavior, there's also a real feeling that he was misusing his office as alderman and should another alderman really be the person who is his defense attorney. That's their problem to sort out, not ours, but I have seen that question posed before. Hmm. It's just, it's a, you're, you're, on the one hand, it looks like um, someone being loyal, Ben, but on the other hand, it kind of looks like um, the place stinks and uh, people are, you know, aldermen are sticking up for other aldermen who have crossed into the wrong side of the law. Well, it, I'll, I'll tell you what, now I'll, I'll do a complete 180 and argue another <laughs> point. That's what you do. Uh, We're like good defense it, attorneys. We can defend yeah. any position. In here. Oh yeah, I could take. I could argue any position. I could defend Rom. I could defend Rom Emanuel. <laughs> it would be a real stretch. Uh, but I mean, just take a look at the uh, the way Danny Solis is viewed as opposed to Ed Burke by their peers in the Chicago City Council, their colleagues. Danny Solis, of course, was the longtime alderman from the 25th Ward, was one of the most powerful uh, aldermen in the City Council, a very close ally of Mayor Rahm. So that's part of his uh, legacy as well, that uh, Danny Solis was uh, his ally. And as Mick likes to point out, you can't become a chairman of a committee without the mayor consenting to it, which is a very bizarre aspect of Chicago politics. Uh, and when Danny Solis announced he was not going to run for re-election, Rahm welcomed that. What a great public servant he was. He wants to spend more time with his grandchildren. <laughs> Rahm, this is, why, this is why I struggle believing anything that comes out of Rahm Emanuel's mouth. And then lo and behold, about a month later, uh, I opened up my beloved bright one, home delivered every day, and discovered that Danny Solis has been wearing a wire and he's been secretly recording a conversations with Ed Burke as part of a federal initiative to build a case against Ed Burke so he could be indicted. And he eventually was indicted for trying to muscle uh, TIF recipients into hiring his law firm to uh, appeal their taxes. Oh my God, doesn't get any sleazier than that. And Solis is the one who's generally reviled because he snitched, because he wore a wire, because he's a rat. And Burke is the guy still walking around the city council, make shaking hands, fist bumping, elbow bumping. I'm like, what a weird. So the fact that Howard Brookins would go, I'm there for you, Proco Joe, you know, does kind of play along. I could argue that it's part of just that whole mentality in Chicago where corruption and lawlessness is per, is permissible. This is the Romana argument. So long as you're a good guy. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. That's what I'm saying. It looks definitely like, you know, um, somebody sticking up for his sleazy buddy. 
That's what it looks like. Um, as for Danny and Eddie, I, you're totally right. There's the whole snitch thing. You just don't do that. I think Kerry Austin said, um, 34th Ward Alderman Kerry Austin, who's, uh, I believe her office has been raided by the feds as well, though she has not um, been indicted or charged or uh, formally accused of any wrongdoing. She said something to the effect of, you just don't do that, speaking about D Danny. I think the other thing that's playing into it, Ben, is what you touched on. Danny, as soon as it was announced, even before it was announced that he was uh, cooperating, he was out of sight, long gone, hasn't been seen in public since then. And we're going on like two years now, right? Um, and uh, Eddie is walking around. He's there. And, and, you know, Ed Burke has made a lot of friends in the city council and in other local offices because he's given advice. He's patted people on the back. He's sent campaign funds. Um, he has uh, handed out a lot of favors through the years. So, you know, to uh, extend the analogy to one of your favorite movies, The Godfather, you know, Ed Burke has a lot of favors that he could call in when he needs to. And so you're not going to have a lot of people, especially former colleagues of his, current or former colleagues, because he's still there, um, say anything bad about Eddie. And to his credit, if that's what you want to say, he is uh, showing up. He's still showing up. His face is out there. Danny, whatever you think of what he's done, whether he's helping law enforcement or whether he's just, you know, uh, kind of a scumbag trying to save his own skin or whatever, Danny hasn't been seen. He slipped away like a thief in the night, you know. So it's it's harder to be sympathetic to Danny. I think if you're one of the people who's there every day who possibly was recorded in a conversation uh, by the feds. Yeah. By the way, I like to, I like to joke uh, to make that uh, Danny, who was a guest at, the, uh, at our hideout show, uh, was probably secretly recording us because he was wearing a wire when he showed up for the show. Uh, but I, I, I make, I've since gone back and looked at the dates as to when he appeared on our stage and when he was wearing a wire and no, he was not yet wearing a wire as, as according to the articles. So he, we were not secretly recorded. The FBI was not listening uh, to that particular show, unless on just as a general, you know, pattern of behavior, they were listening to our show just because they enjoyed our conversation. Well, yeah. And then in another plot twist, we recorded that conversation. Yes. All of our shows were recorded. So, uh, even more incriminating politically, we had Danny and Rick on the record um, doing a love fest, so-called uh, mayoral insider and the so-called independent talking about how they're really kind of fighting for the same thing. And they've been their friends now after their, you know, distant past of being on the opposite sides. And Danny wanted to be more independent and was all for reform, as I recall. And Rick saying, well, you know, he's not that different from us and all this, you know, so. Uh, we were the ones there, Ben, who were uh, uh, recording the whole thing. For his yes, that's uh, not one of our finest moments. Two of our guests are under indictment. You but, know what? Uh, that was a great show. I'm sorry, everybody. That was a highly entertaining conversation uh, with those two. And as I recall, you know, we didn't know the half of what would come out in these indictments, of course, but we didn't let them off the hook. We asked them both about their um, 
histories, their political alliances, uh, you know, sucking up to the mayor and everything. Oh yeah. So it was, it was, and then I got into a, what else? A tiff argument with Danny Solis. <laughs> so what else, Mick? Um, all right. So we're going to close with one, uh, uh, more trivia question related to, um, our former show at the hideout, by the way, I still do the show with Maya, but, uh, it's, uh, we do it virtually. Uh, although with Mick, we're talking about, um, if all goes well, uh, having a show, a live show, uh, in July. So that'd be great. Yeah, Let's hope. Can, let's hope we can hope we get back on it. And, uh, the all right. So here's open it up and here, you'll be able to talk politics openly from openly. the stage again. So, yeah. All right. So here's the, the trivia. They could even come in. They could just listen if they want. They could just yes. be there at the show. Well, actually, we were talking about um, uh, actually doing it. Uh, this is Tim Tutton, the uh, uh, owner of the hideout, co-owner of the hideout. It's a great idea. We would do an outdoor venue. It's a nice day under, uh, you know, an umbrella of sorts. Anyway, all right. So um, trivia question. Uh, first Tuesday trivia. Jesse White stepped down, announced he was no longer uh, not going to run for re-election uh, for secretary of state. And pretty much everybody uh, in Chicago politics, a bit of an exaggeration, is now running uh, in the Democratic primary uh, to fill that vacancy. Which former guests of our show are candidates for Secretary of State Mick Duncan? Well, I know of two right away. Uh, Current aldermen, Pat Dowell and David Moore, were both guests of our show. Um, but since the time I started talking to you, there could have been somebody else, uh, stepping up to run for Secretary of State. So I don't know. There may be more, um, but those are the ones I know offhand. Very good. Well done. And a former profile subject of Mick Gumke is running as well. I was going to say, I, uh, probably the longest profile, the longest and least read profile that I've ever written was of, uh, Alexi Genulius when he was running for U.S. Senate, trying to um, uh, step into Barack Obama's old shoes as a U.S. Senator. And uh, at the same time, as you and I often commented both to each other and to anyone else who would listen, the Democrats had the uh, brilliant idea of nominating the skion of a failing bank and the year of the financial meltdown uh, for U.S. Senate. And uh, Alexi's Family Bank, Broadway Bank, did end up going under, and uh, and Alexi's campaign for senator also ended up going under. But um, I did spend a little time with Alexi. You're right, back in the day. Oh, I remember that. I remember the article. Um, so just any uh, opening thoughts? I shouldn't talk down my own work, Ben. Everybody should seek out that article. I actually did do a lot of work on it. Um, uh, you know, there are many things uh, – Fellow writers and reporters will agree there are many things you look at or choose not to look at in this case years later and just sort of think, well, I might have done that a little differently, but I am glad I gave it a chance. And it's out there if anyone wants to uh, take the time to seek it out. Alexi's Albatross. So Yeah, no, it was, it was, it's a great article. And uh, Mick and I talked about this at length. And it's already 11 years ago. Time has flown. But I to to hammer home the point you just made i just to this day i am in just disbelief that the democrats they're so clueless that they thought this was a good idea uh and this just make i could go on and on 
this is that was the state of mind. This gets back to Rom because so much just comes out of like Rom's approach to government and his approach to uh, politicking. The state of mind of the Democrats in the year two thousand and ten. They were so enamored with the, with Barack Obama. There was the cult of Barack Obama, and they were so clueless as to how the rest of the country looked at their party. And they were so blatantly hypocritical. This is me talking, not McDunkey. They were so blatantly hypocritical. Here they are, like, supposedly defending people who were vulnerable by this horrific recession that was brought on by just what unbridled greed of the lending industry that had no monitoring of it. And we should have been making huge strides to correct, but we were essentially just paying them off uh, without holding them accountable. And they put up to replace Barack Obama, as you put it, you know, the kid whose family run bank was, uh, did it go bankrupt? I can't remember. Did, or just, it, uh, bankrupt. it was eventually shut down. I shut believe, down. By regulators. Yeah. So your article gets in all, that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, uh, I wouldn't dismiss. It. it was an important article at the time. And it, many of the questions that you raised are still with us. Like how clueless can the, dem- we're about to see it right now with this nomination. Go ahead. Mick. Well, I think the other thing I, I tried to do in that story was to chart how Alexei Janulius got on the radar of other Illinois politicians. And the short answer is that he and his family gave a lot of money around and he's a charming guy. I mean, he's a good looking guy. He's, you know, he's engaging. He's got some charisma. Um, you know, he, he's fun. I found him fun to hang out with quite honestly, but that doesn't mean that he was a great political candidate. And uh, certainly his timing then was poor and wasn't ready, I don't think, for the Senate nomination. Um, remember, there was a late hour challenge by the former city inspector general, David Hoffman, who mm-hmm. I'm convinced it's one of those things like, you know, you're watching there. Um, sometimes you're watching the Olympics. You're like, if the 100 yard dash had been 105 yards, yeah. somebody else would have run. Yeah. And it's one of those things, a couple more weeks, another month, uh, David Hoffman may have won that nomination, but that was not how it went. Alexi won it um, and had a spirited uh, campaign, but ultimately was sunk by a number of factors. And and Mark Kirk ended up winning the seat back for the Republicans that time. But the one thing I think that the story I tried to do in the story was kind of chart his rise. He made friends with um, some uh, people across the party, including liberal icons like Jan Schakowsky mm-hmm. and his family was uh, gave around a lot of money and that put him on the map of a lot of politicians. And like I said, young, ch- young, charming, smart guy. Um, he quickly rose up the ranks, became the uh, state treasurer. Um, and, you know, one of his underlings, by the way, state treasurer, top aides was Robin Kelly, who uh, became, uh, you know, was elected to went to work for Tony Preckwinkle briefly, then was elected to Congress, now leading the Illinois Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of people in this, um, you know, there's a kind of a lot of spokes here of people who are uh, still important members of the the Democratic Party here. I think this race is going to be really interesting just to see how the Democrats handle it and, and where they go and all the shifting alliances and whatnot. 
a lot of Chicago politicians running uh, in a statewide race. Uh, four that I can think of just off the top of my head. Do you have a sense of how the anti-Chicago bias will play in this, Mick? I don't. Um, you know, I know uh, there is one person from outside the city who's running on the Democratic side. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how well everyone's going to be able to fundraise. I have a hard time believing that all of these Chicago politicians are going to be able to um, raise a ton of money or get a lot of attention. I mean, there's still so much going on. Yeah. I know it's early, but how many people are going to be tuned in mm -hmm. to the secretary of state's race? Yeah. It's a very important race yeah, politically is. in Illinois because yeah. it controls so many jobs as mm -hmm. well as, uh, uh, you know, it's an office that the public interacts with for their driver's license and what's not, whatnot. But um, honestly, it usually doesn't rate very highly on the, the most watched list for, uh, you know, hot elections, exciting elections. So I think it's too soon to see yeah. how it's going to play out. Do you have any sense, any thoughts on it? No, I have none. I, it, like I said, there's, I, we talk on the show a lot about the anti-Chicago bias uh, outside of Chicago and uh, the, uh, the struggles that, that causes, let's say J JB Pritzker um, more so than any other politician in the state. So how these Chicago politicians are going to reinvent themselves to make themselves palpable to people outside of Chicago be interesting. It was David Moore, uh, who was one of the guests on the show. She, he debated uh, Carlos uh, Ramirez Rosa in 2016. He was a representative of uh, Hillary Clinton. Remember that debate very well. Um, he made a point make of having his announcement uh, at the campus in Macomb for Western Illinois. That's where he went to college. And his point was, I'm not just an alderman from Chicago. I went to college here. I have many friends that I still touch with. So I thought, oh, that was an interesting move. I gave uh, all, all the credit to Delmarie Cobb, who is working on his campaign for that. Probably not fair, <laughs> but I gave her the credit anyway, because I like her so much. So, I, but you see my point already. Uh, I, I saw that too. I thought that was really smart. On, on his part, on Del Marie's part, I thought the same thing about Del Marie. Um, I don't. We don't. We don't know. In fairness to Alderman Moore, whether it was his idea or hers, and it doesn't matter. They're, they would say they're on the same team. Um, and uh, I agree with you. I thought that was smart of him to get outside Chicago to, uh, you know, uh, put a stake down somewhere else and say, look, I, you know, have ties to uh, places beyond the Seventeenth Ward. Um, and the other, the candidate outside of Chicago, I, I should have given his name, uh, State Senator Michael Hastings. Um, but he's from Tinley Park. It's not like he's so far. It's not like he's exactly a downstater himself. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, no, everybody's from the Chicagoland area. Uh, all right, Mick, we're going to close. Uh, uh, I have to ask you a sports-related question. Another popular interview we did that really has nothing to do with politics, although we it dovetailed into politics. I urge everybody to check it out. Mick Dumkey on football and how he's through with football, uh, professional football, NFL. Uh, he's not going to watch it anymore. And I was encouraging him in that because I was stridently anti-Bears at the time. Uh, I've subsequently had, <laughs> had a conversion of sorts. The Chicago Bears stunned me, and I mean stunned me, uh, in the recent draft day by trading to uh, – obtain the rights to Justin Fields, quarterback from Ohio State, who on more than one occasion uh, 
has humiliated my beloved Northwestern Wildcats in football. Uh, and I was ecstatic about it. And for many reasons, one of which uh, that he's a black man and the bears, in my humble opinion, this is me speaking, not McDumkey, have a horrific record when it comes to black men playing quarterback on their team. And I've argued many times that I think there's a prejudice on the part of a bear cultural prejudice on the part of the bears. Uh, and that has limited them and not only competitively, but just like ethically, morally. So I was like, whoa, the Bears drafted a black guy to play quarterback. Mick, I was so excited. It was like, are we now removing ourselves from the Mike Ditka era? Mistreated Vincent. the first person I thought of. Um, and I uh, immediately thought, well, I can't bring up Vince Evans anymore whenever we're talking about this. <laughs> uh, who, uh, for anyone who remembers, was the quarterback for the Bears for like a minute uh, a long time ago. Does it not refute your argument, um, add any weight to uh, counterpoint to your argument at all, Ben? Um, listen, I'm not even following the NFL. I don't watch the Bears anymore for all the reasons we discuss in that other show. Uh, I, I, I do follow the Bears, the coverage of the Bears, because I find it so – I find the coverage of the Bears so entertaining. I don't even care about the games, but I find the coverage of it, the highs and mostly the lows that everyone feels around here and the sports writers wringing their hands and <laughs> this is it, we're going to do it. And then, like, the week later, the truth becomes clear. No, they're not. Um, so entertaining. But, yeah, Justin Fields I found to be exciting for the city. Like, he's, I am a huge Northwestern fan. I am a, I've always been primarily a college football fan just because the family I grew up in um, was a very college-oriented uh, sports family um, besides Major League Baseball. So I still have school spirit on Saturday afternoons and enjoy the college game very much. And like you – watched Justin Fields absolutely dismantle um, <laughs> Northwestern uh, in 2019. Um, but this last year in the, in the uh, Big Ten championship game, the Wildcats did a better job than anyone else last year of holding him in check. Ohio State still won because they just had superior athletes. But um, – the Cats' defense, man, give it up for them. They're the only ones who could figure anything out whatsoever against Justin. But it's very exciting, and it's been really fun to watch um, Bears fan number one, who is Northwestern coach Pat Fitzgerald Fitz. Um, no one's been more excited about this. Besides Ben Jarofsky, probably no one's been more excited about this draft move than, uh, than Fitz. So. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I'm really excited about it. I wrote about it for in the Reader's news, Newsletter, and uh, I'm a lifelong Bear fan. Oh, since 1966, when my family moved to Evanston, I've been rooting for the Bears through thick and thin, and I just couldn't take it anymore uh, when, when it just it hit me. It just was unavoidable, this bias they had when they took uh, Trubisky over Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. And so I just, I couldn't root for him. It's sort of like my struggles with the Cubs and the Ricketts. I've been a Cub fan since before McDumkey was born. And I, I just, this Ricketts ownership, I just can't deal with it, Mick. And uh, so it was good that I had a no excuse uh, to hate the bears and I'm back on the bandwagon and they're going to be 
disappointment. I know, but whatever. I put up with it for almost 50, over 50 years. Uh, so might as well put up with it a little longer. All right, Mick, uh, I'm not going to put you on the uh, defensive by asking you about your, you still loving the Cubs uh, despite the Ricketts. Uh, we'll have a whole show on that sometime, I think. Uh, we'll discuss baseball. And also, I'm going to make good on our promise to do the great uh, 1971 debate with Mick. I have not forgotten that. Ben, I just, I know I got to go, but I just tweeted about that earlier about that issue of what's the best year of in rock history because a band I love, Ganser, um, had tweeted something about 1980 was their favorite year. And they were like, is this the best year ever? And 1980 is another one. It may be like number two or number three top years. And so I um, engaged with them and retweeted and said, yes, along with 1971. And then I listed a couple other years. So that is just to say, I'm ready to go for that one, man. So let's set it up, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll set it up. There's there's yeah, a I, I sent uh, there's a documentary coming out about 1971 as a pivotal pivotal year in music. Uh, so we have extra reason uh, to do it. Uh, our inner, by the way, as long as I'm promoting McDunkey conversations, our conversation about Bob Dylan is our all time record breaker. <laughs> Two Dylan geeks sit down and just talk Dylan for you think Ramada makes fun of us for Proco Joe? Oh my god. She anyway. doesn't even listen enough to be able to make fun of us on Dylan. I was just kind of like <laughs> don't even talk about we it. We may have to bring back another discussion of Dylan. Uh, he, had a, he had an album in 1971, so maybe he'll be uh, part of the discussion of 1971. I doubt it, but maybe he will be. All right, Mick, I know you're a busy guy. Get back to whatever you're doing. Thanks so much for taking time to talk to us. I appreciate it, as that. always. See you, Dennis. Thanks, gentlemen. All right, that's the great Mick Dumkey, a ProPublica, my uh, partner in crime at uh, the Hideout. Bought out trivia questions related to the Hideout in today's show. And Mick, well, I'm happy to say, Got them all. So no all right. early dementia for Mick Dumkey. I'm going to throw it your way. Here's a little hideout trivia question. What is the address of the hideout? Oh, my God. It's been so wide. <laughs> it's been so long. 1350 Wabansia. I don't think that's right. Oh. <laughs> it's some, it's Wabansia. 1364, I believe. West Wabansia. Is that right? Oh, I mean, whoa. You don't even have the answer. I'm pulling it up now. I'm pulling it up now. <laughs> Oh, this part can be edited out. Oh, no, come on. There's worse yeah. things that we've not edited out. Uh, yeah, 1354 West Wabansia. Okay, well, you know, we were all kind of right. You had the four right, I had the 50 right. So, uh, anyway, yeah, it's been a while. So we used to, um, when we promote the show, 1354 West Wabansia. Yeah, good old days. We'll be back. My and I will be back, I promise. Um, let's all hope it's sooner than later. All right, I want to thank McDunkey, the legendary McDunkey from ProPublica for joining us. And of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of all in the light without whom this show would be possible. And it's McDunkey, Tim Tutton, Mike Masafa, and Lori Lightfoot will tell you. Back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Biked around Lake Michigan. Nearly a thousand miles. Nearly a thousand miles.
take a chill pill, man. <laughs>